Shema Yisrael. Welcome to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries with Aaron Budgen. Aaron discovered Jesus is his Messiah while preparing to be a rabbi. He now teaches for several organizations and is the teaching pastor for Living God Ministries. Strongly distinguishing between the Old and New Covenants, Aaron presents the scriptures from a Judaic and historical frame of reference. Join Aaron now as he reveals the reality foreshadowed and the new life we can now experience because of what the Lord Jesus accomplished for us. In the previous program, I was talking about the dietary laws, and today's program is a continuation of the previous broadcast. Now, at the end of the previous program, I was talking about the significance of understanding the implications of the dietary laws. Our God gave these laws, and the results were very profound. The most important result that I believe we should recognize is that the dietary laws isolated the nation of Israel from all of the other nations. It's my sincere opinion, it's my belief that this is the biggest reason, it's the most important reason. There are, of course, other reasons. I can appreciate the health concerns that people have, things like that. And I certainly do not want to encourage anybody to live a life that's unhealthy. I don't want to do that. That's not my intent. I just want to talk about the subject that I see in the scriptures, especially how it relates to the gospel and how it relates to the separation that God made between Israel and everybody else. And then he used these laws in order to reunite the Jew with the Gentile through the New Covenant. But I'll come back to that in a few minutes. When I sit down with people and I talk about this subject, that is with those people who believe that we should be living in obedience to the dietary laws, when I do get the opportunity to really sit down and talk with people about these laws and other things, one of the questions that I really enjoy asking people is what would be the penalty for eating a bacon double cheeseburger? I mean, what would the penalty really be according to the law of God, the law that he gave through Moses? What is that penalty? I love asking this question. And then I go around the people. I ask the people who are there, tell me, what is your answer? What do you think the penalty is for eating a bacon double cheeseburger? Now, of course, in the previous program, I explained that the bacon, of course, comes from a pig that has a split hoof but does not chew the cud, and so it is an unclean animal. And then there are other laws related to milk and meat products, which I do not believe, as I explained in the previous program, I do not believe that these are part of the dietary laws, but if we assume that they are, if I assume that they are, they might very well be, I just don't think that they are, but that's okay, found in Exodus 23, verse 19, 34, verse 26, 14, verse 21, that you cannot eat a hamburger with cheese on it. You can't do that. So I've got two laws that I have described a violation of. First, eating from a pig, and second, from the milk and meat products. If I make that assumption, the bacon double cheeseburger is a really good illustration. What's the penalty? What happens if you eat a bacon double cheeseburger? And when I ask this question, I normally get one of two answers. I either get, I don't know, which of course is a legitimate answer. I mean, people may claim that they are sincere, that they are devoted, that they know the law, that they observe the law. But it doesn't mean they're telling the truth. 
They may be convinced that they are telling the truth, but it doesn't mean that they're telling the truth. And I don't know is a very popular answer because they don't know. They don't care. Just give me the law. Tell me that. I'll watch what you're doing. I'll do that. And then we'll be friends. That's how many people think. And then they make the assumption that they know something about the law, but they don't know. And so this is a legitimate answer that people give. The other option, the other possibility for eating a bacon double cheeseburger is death. I mean, we're going to take you out to the city limits and we're going to throw rocks at you until you're dead. That's what people believe. But that is not what the law says. That's not what it says. The law says that if you eat a bacon double cheeseburger, you are unclean until evening. That's the law. It's not death. It's unclean until evening. You don't even have to go to the temple and pay restitution. All you have to do is just leave the city limits, wait until the sun goes down. It's a good idea to take a bath, wash your clothes, and then you can come back within the city limits. So if you want to eat a bacon double cheeseburger, if you really do, there's a way to do it. If you leave the city limits in whatever city you're in, if you leave your community and you go to another community nearby or further away, you can go and you can eat all of the pork chops you want, all the bacon you want. You can eat all the shellfish you want. You can eat anything your heart desires, and you can enjoy it. Just don't come back until the sun goes down. And if you do, then you are perfectly righteous in God's eyes. You have not sinned. That's the law. That's what the law says. So why is it that a person would put so much emphasis on a law like this? I mean, there are other laws that have the penalty of death. We could put a lot more emphasis on those. Why is it that people put so much emphasis on the dietary laws? Well, it's my belief that the reason why is because they are some of the easiest laws to obey. And so let's put a lot of emphasis on these laws. And so it looks like We're doing a lot better than we really are. That's my own personal opinion. I believe that that is the motive behind people selecting the dietary laws and emphasizing them so much and talking about them so much and trying to get people to observe them along with them as well, thinking that they're really making some progress in their life of keeping the commandments and holiness and righteousness. When all you have to do is just leave the city limits, leave town, go and eat whatever you want to eat, and just come back after sunset, and you will have observed the law and the relative penalty for violating that law. That's it. That's all you have to do. But instead, people think that they are really impressive by saying that they don't do that. They really believe that they are impressive. Now, folks... I have known people who have devoted themselves not only to these laws, but all the others as well. They are impressive. I know many people who are very impressive, many religious, orthodox Jews whom I have known, who I still know. They are very impressive, and you as a non-Jew will never be able to compete with these individuals when it comes to being impressive, when it comes to being obedient or repentant, you will never be able to compete with the sincerity that these people have. I have great confidence in saying that. But in saying that, I want you to understand that that, of course, is of no importance to me. Because no matter how impressive an individual might be, you or them, they still do not know their God. And if you think you will know your God by your observance of these things, you're not. 
He will not allow that because knowing your God only comes through the new covenant, not through the old. It only comes through the new covenant. That is the opportunity to know our God. There is no other opportunity besides that. So if you want to be impressive, why don't you pick another law, something like Leviticus chapter 19, verse 18. That's Leviticus chapter 19, verse 18, that you will not bear a grudge against your neighbor. Try that one and see how well you do. People will tend to pick those laws that they don't personally struggle with or that they find easier to obey, and they believe that they can build an entire religious life with that and really accomplish something. Now, it's my opinion, it's my belief that the Lord has no interest in these things at all, that this has nothing to do with why he gave the dietary laws, with what he intended to accomplish. I explained in the previous program that the dietary laws would have isolated the nation of Israel from all of the other nations, and I believe that the reason why he would want to isolate the nation of Israel from all of the other nations is because he could provide the religious, the political, and the social infrastructure for the Messiah, the Lord Jesus, to come and accomplish salvation in the way that he did. If Israel did not live in observance to the dietary laws, they could have easily been assimilated within all of the other nations at some point in their history in such a way that they would have never recovered from that assimilation. And their distinctness, their observance of the law would never be accomplished, not in the same way. And so I believe this was God's tool in order to isolate the nation of Israel, bring about the Messiah. Now, once the Messiah came and the gospel was revealed, what then? What would he do then? This is a very important question to answer because the gospel is for both the Jew and the Gentile. And that means that the gospel is not how do we get Gentiles to become like Jews. And it's not, how do we get Jews to become like Gentiles? It has nothing to do with either one of those. What is it? What's it about? It's about the unification of the Jew and the Gentile into a new creation that is neither, that has no relationship to either, that is something different. It is something new. That's what the gospel is about, when it comes to the good news of salvation, the new covenant, the kingdom of heaven, and the body of Christ. So, this is going to be a huge obstacle. A huge obstacle. How are you going to get the gospel that the Jews have? How are you going to get that to the Gentiles? How are you going to get this message to the Gentiles? And what is this message going to look like? Well, first of all, the gospel has to do with the restoration of the Holy Spirit that had been lost in Adam. And I have done a number of programs where I talk about that. I would like to refer you to the first two programs I did on the subject of forgiveness. You can find these in my radio archive at livinggodministries.net. I would definitely like to encourage you to listen to those programs to understand what the gospel really is and the implications of the gospel as it goes out into the world bringing this message of resurrection. The implications meaning that now the Jew can be resurrected and the Gentile can also be resurrected, completely independent and separate from the law, that you can now have a new creation in Christ Jesus. How are you going to get this message out? This is a serious obstacle. Consider Acts chapter 10. In Acts chapter 10, Peter was given a vision. 
The Lord provided the vision to Peter of all of this unclean food. And of course, the conclusion of that was to show that Peter could go to the people because all people are clean. He wasn't encouraging Peter to eat the food. He used the food as a tool to show that the Gentile can be saved. He went to the Gentile. He presented the gospel to the Gentile. And the Gentile, that is the household of Cornelius, they were saved. So what happens then? Well, you keep reading to Acts chapter 11, and you see that Peter went to Jerusalem. And you probably would think that the church in Jerusalem, you know, all of the Jews who believed in Jesus, you probably would think that they would be excited to hear that Peter went to the Gentiles, and he spoke with them, and they got saved. But no! Oh no! When you read in Acts chapter 11, in Acts chapter 11, verse 3, they said, you went to uncircumcised men and ate with them. That's what they had to say. They didn't say, this is exciting, the Gentile got saved. Oh, no. All they were concerned about was that Peter was violating the dietary laws. That was their concern. Do you see the separation that the dietary laws caused? Without understanding the separation, the implications, it can be very difficult to see this transition between Acts chapter 10 and Acts chapter 11. Now, of course, if you continue to read in Acts chapter 11, you will find that they eventually conceded and got excited after a pause. They recognized the salvation of the Gentiles at that point, and this opened up the possibility that the Gentile could be reached, that the Gentile could be saved. Now, of course, then there was this huge struggle of, do we now make the Gentile into a Jew? Or is the Jew perhaps to become a Gentile? That opened up a whole new struggle. And if you keep reading to Acts chapter 15, you'll see a big discussion about this and how should the Gentiles live and how should the Jews live. This is a very important struggle. I actually did a verse-by-verse study on the book of Acts that you can hear for free through my radio archive at livinggodministries.net. Definitely listen to that verse-by-verse study because there is a lot to see there. There's a lot to understand there. But even after that, after that, this was still an issue. Consider Galatians. Galatians chapter 2, verses 11 to 14, where Paul got in Peter's face. I mean, this is the guy who God used to bring the gospel to the Gentiles. And he used the dietary laws to accomplish that. You would figure that Peter would recognize that if he's out of town then it's reasonable for him to eat things or to eat with utensils or to eat food that was cooked in an oven or something like that that may potentially violate the dietary laws only because he is outside of Israel. He is within the boundaries in that context. He's not within the boundaries of the country. He's outside of the country. And so he can legitimately eat whatever he wants to eat, relatively speaking. He's not subject to the same laws because he's not within Israel. You would figure that he would understand this, but Paul got in his face. That's what he said. He said, I got right in his face. I'm paraphrasing, of course. And I told him that he was to be blamed because he's trying to make Gentiles into Jews. That's not to say that we need to make Jews into Gentiles. We are to recognize that we are a new creation that the dietary laws had a purpose, and that purpose was accomplished. The purpose was to isolate the nation of Israel from the other nations. And then the Lord used the dietary laws in order to reunite the Jew with the Gentile to become 
one in Christ Jesus. This is the purpose of the dietary laws. It is about separation and reunification. Once the unification has occurred, once this has happened, then the law has no place in our lives anymore. It simply has no place in our lives when it comes to our relationship with our God or when it comes to our relationship with other people. It is completely irrelevant. Its relevance was accomplished. Now, I'll be honest with you concerning myself that I tend to live in obedience to the dietary laws. I don't eat the things that are described in Leviticus chapter 11, with some exceptions, of course. But in general, I live in obedience to the dietary laws. And when I violate those laws, I eventually fulfill what is required by the penalty. I eventually go out of town. I come back after sunset. I wash my clothes. I do live in obedience to the dietary laws, relatively speaking. But I don't do so because I believe that it has anything to do with my relationship with my God. I really don't. I do it for health reasons. That's the only reason why. If you want to do it for health reasons or if you want to do it to honor God, whatever you want to do, that's fine. That's between you and the Lord. I certainly won't say otherwise. But for a person to say that it is required, for a person to say that they're going to have some advantage of some kind because they do or they do not, to me is senseless. At that point, what I believe I'm dealing with whenever I talk with people like this, I believe I'm dealing with people who have weak faith. Their faith isn't very strong. And what I mean by that is that they don't really trust what God has done. They don't understand what God has done. They don't trust what he has done. They don't really believe that God doesn't hold their sins against them anymore. They don't really believe that the law was given for a purpose and that purpose has been accomplished. They don't believe these things. And so what I mean by weak faith is that a person just simply doesn't understand these things or they are unwilling to trust in these things. And because of that, they are considered to be weak in faith. Now, when I say that, I'm not saying that those who violate the dietary laws have strong faith. That's not what I mean. What I mean is, is that if a person does not understand the purpose of the dietary laws, how they were used, what got accomplished through them, if they do not understand that they have been set free from the law, things like that, then that is an indication that they have weak faith. Not because of the laws, they have weak faith just because they do not yet understand or embrace the implications of the forgiveness that they have as a result of Jesus' death. Now, I, of course, cannot get into this subject concerning freedom from the law in just a few minutes, which is all that I have left. For an understanding concerning this subject, I would encourage you to listen to the programs that I did on spiritual warfare. Don't let the title fool you. It's actually a study on law and grace. But when it comes to weak faith, the Apostle Paul addressed this subject in the context of strong faith or weak faith. He did this in the book of Romans. In the book of Romans, chapter 14, the Apostle Paul talks about this, where people will eat one thing and they won't eat another. People believe that they do one thing for the Lord and other people do not. Either way, do not judge the servant of God. Let the Lord grow and mature an individual in whatever way he desires. Now, I'm not saying that in order to excuse an individual. I am only saying that if you personally or if somebody you know is struggling with these issues. If you personally believe that God requires you 
to live in obedience to the dietary laws. If that's what you believe, and that he will not bless you if you violate these laws, or he will not fulfill any promises that he has made to you if you violate these laws, or you may believe that you are not loving God when you violate these laws, if these are the kinds of things that you believe, If what you believe sounds anything like this, then to me, in my opinion, you are not strong in your faith. You're still relatively immature. Now, it's certainly not my intent to condemn anybody in that kind of a situation, in that kind of a condition, because I myself remember very well the days when I was devoted to the dietary laws in this way, for this purpose, for the reasons that I just gave. I know what it's like to live my life like that. I know what it is to live my life believing that I am being holy, believing that I am being obedient, believing that I am being distinct for God so he'll notice me when he looks into a crowd. I know what that's all about. I've been there. I've done that. And like I said, today I don't use the new covenant or freedom as a means of sin or indulging my flesh. That's not how I think. That's not what I see in the scriptures or in the new covenant. I don't see any of that at all. I believe that he gave those laws for a reason. He showed me the reasons why he gave those laws. And because of that, I was able to put these laws down put him down in the sense that I am not going to live my life by these laws anymore because I see why he gave them, I see how he used them, and I will believe and trust that this is why he gave them and how he used them. This is what I believe. This is what I believe he has revealed to me. And so I live this way. Otherwise, I am going to have to consider that I am in a situation, that I am in a position where God may hold something against me. He may hold something against me. You see, if you believe that you have to live in obedience to these laws, then you believe he will hold it against you if you do not. If you don't believe that, then you've got no business talking about these dietary laws to anybody. You go ahead and do it on your own time and your own way, and just don't mention them. But if you recognize that he holds it against you for your lack of obedience, well, then that's another story. In that case, I can say that you do not understand the implications of forgiveness yet, and you need to pursue that. And I believe if you do pursue that, then you will eventually come to understand the differences between law and grace, the differences between the old and the new covenants. And when you see the differences between the two, and you realize the purposes for both, then you will find it easier to embrace the freedom that your God has called you to. This freedom, this new life that we now have before us because of what he has accomplished, this new life is something totally different that has nothing to do with what you do, what you don't do, what you eat or what you don't eat. This new life has to do with Knowing your God, not knowing yourself, not knowing your digestive system, not knowing this animal or that animal or whether it was put in a pot or in a wooden box. Who cares about these things? There is something else that our God is involved in. And if this is what you're involved in, you're missing out. You're missing out in a big way because he is doing a work here on earth. 
And this work has to do with transforming individuals on the inside. This work has to do with resurrecting a person's spirit. This work has to do with him revealing himself to you. That's the work that he is involved in. And if you're preoccupied with these things, well, then that's it. You're preoccupied with yourself, with your own flesh, and you've got no concept of what he is really accomplishing here. I believe this. I say this with great confidence because, as I said, I've been there. I've lived that way. I have lived my life in a way that I believe you would find quite challenging. And I know what it is to be empty in that. I know what it is not to know my God through that. And I know what it is to know my God through the new covenant, through what he has accomplished for me, rather than trying to achieve something by me trying to accomplish something for him. Those are two completely different ways of life. So again, the dietary laws are a very important subject, and I believe that you will have a significant gap in your understanding of the scriptures and the struggles of the early church if you don't recognize the importance of them, that God gave them to separate the nation of Israel for a period of time from the Gentile world, and then he used them again, of course, in order to reunite the Jew with the Gentile so that he could create the new creation, the body of Christ Jesus. Now again, the dietary laws were given for these purposes, but what people tend to do is they tend to make the assumption that if you violate the dietary laws, then you will be separated from God. But that's not what the law says. The law says that you will be separated from the nation of Israel. And it was important to separate people from the nation of Israel in order to maintain the integrity of the nation. But according to the New Covenant, the objective is not to separate from the nation of Israel. It's not to stop being a Jew so that you could become a Gentile any more than we want to take a Gentile, stop them from being a Gentile, and make them into a Jew. The purpose, the objective of the gospel and the resurrection is to make a new person, a new person who is a new creation, who lives according to the new covenant, not according to the old covenant. And being a new creation in Christ Jesus means that you can now be joined to your God, whereas before there was no way to be joined to your God. And when we are joined to our God through the new covenant, then we will never be separated from him, regardless of what we eat or don't eat. He has called us to a new way of life. You've been listening to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries. You can hear all of our programs for free through our radio archive at livinggodministries.net. That is, livinggodministries.net. Do help us develop new radio programs and continue broadcasting on this and other radio stations. Send your contributions to Living God Ministries, P.O. Box 383-53, Colorado Springs, Colorado, 80937. Or use the donation link on our website, livinggodministries.net. That is, livinggodministries.net.